Can we pray? Let's do that. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. Before we ask you for anything, we just want to tell you we're grateful for the cross. We are grateful this morning for your shed blood that paid the price for our sins. We are grateful, Lord, that even as we come and bring you praise and we bring you prayers today, that you hear them, that you consider us sons and daughters. Lord, I ask you to take hold of my mouth, have your way in this place, God. We trust you above all things, and we love you. May you be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Pastor Vince. I am uh, the founding pastor of Love City Church, as Justin let you know. Um, and I, I can't really overstate what a blessing this church, uh, Pastor Kurt and Pastor Justin, have been in the process for us uh, discovering God's will as far as planting our church. Um, pastor Kurt invested an incredible amount of time, and uh, right in the midst of you guys doing everything you were doing, it was busy here. And uh, because he's a kingdom-minded guy, he saw fit to set aside time and, and speak into my life, speak into what we were doing, pray for us. Uh, Pastor Justin and I, we have been sweating, bleeding, and fighting in the trenches of ministry for years. We've got the scars to prove it. Uh, so, like he said, for life, man, we'll, we'll be serving Jesus together. So, uh, we have a real kindred uh, connection to you guys and really love you guys and appreciate you. Um, we're really honored to be uh, alongside you um, for the common goal of accomplishing gospel transformation for Cincinnati, because that's the goal for all of us. If we are, if we are marked by the name of Christ, man, it is our call and our mission to, to bring the gospel to this city and to believe with all our hearts that that is what it needs. Is that right or wrong? Right. Amen. Okay. And we believe that God establishes both times and places where he calls us to be. And so we believe that God has called us to this place in this time for his glory. Um. And some people would ask, you know, this, this church has only been around a little more than a year or right around a year. Um, God's planning us in Norwood. And some people, I've heard them say this, will kind of throw out the question, well, why, why would God be birthing so many churches uh, in, in the Cincinnati region or in, in Hamilton County? Isn't there enough? I mean, there's, there's churches around, right? You drive around. You don't have to drive too far. You'll see a church. Is that right? I mean, you don't have to go too far. But I just want to bring... I want to bring some facts and figures and numbers so that you can be excited about any Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, faithful church that, he, that Jesus would see fit to bring to fruition, okay? Because here's the deal. I'm just going to use Hamilton County because greater Cincinnati gets a little convoluted. You're in some different states, different counties. I'm just going to use Hamilton County and give you some numbers. And I think probably the percentages, the probabilities, all kind of, they, they span out uh, and, and they stay about the same. But we have 800,000 people roughly in Hamilton County, okay? When polled, 49% of those people say they have any congregational affiliation whatsoever. So only 49% of people have a, a church family, a church community, a place where they go and worship. Now, the question, however, is, is unfortunately broad. All it's saying is, do you have congregational affiliation? Is there a place where you go to church? So we know that of the 560 or so organizations that call themselves churches in Hamilton County, not all of them are Christian. Not all of them even claim to be Christian. Furthermore, not all of them are necessarily faithful, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? That happens. I mean, it's not our job to run around and necessarily judge who is and isn't, but that's the truth. And all those people, the 49%, which puts you at about 392,000 people that are saying, yes, I have a church. How many of them, the last time they went was when they were married, and the next time they'll go is when they're buried, Right? Just because someone has a place where they say, I go to church there, doesn't necessarily mean they have a vibrant and authentic relationship with Jesus. You understand what I'm talking about? So what I'm trying to do is paint the picture for us is that 
we don't have too many churches. Because here's the reality. If the 800,000 people one morning woke up and said, I want to go to church with 560 some odd churches in Hamilton County, every single one, some of you have lightning quick mental math. I had to use a calculator for this. Every single church would have to be able to hold 1,500 people. Now, God has incredibly blessed Missio Day with this brand new space, man. Well, it's not brand new, but it's newer, right? It's, it's bigger, it's better, it's awesome. If we crammed 1,500 people in here, many of you would be severely uncomfortable, right? Uh, the average size of a church is not anywhere near 1,500. Um, and, and so the point is, man, and some people would say, well, you know, nobody, that's never going to happen. We're not ever going to have 100% of the people in, in Hamilton County wake up one morning and decide they want to they go to church. Well, first of all, I would just say, why not? I'll believe for that. But secondly, you really never know. Let some kind of tragedy hit. I mean, in New York City, we were close to 100% after September 11th of people trying to go to find somewhere to find answers, somewhere to find solace and comfort. I'm not asking for tragedy. I'm just saying it's not impossible. And so we don't have too many churches here and in most cities. Uh, we need more. We need more faithful churches that love Jesus and care about the gospel and care about people. Amen? Amen. Also, tragically, of those 560 or so organizations that call themselves churches, many of them that are even Christian churches and, and are or were faithful at one time, they've either plateaued or they're declining. I actually met with a pastor this week of a church that recently celebrated their 125th anniversary. It's right here, smack dab in the middle of the greater Cincinnati region. I'm not going to mention what church it is, but um, in talking with them, I could hear the discouragement in their voice. Um, they have 63 members, 40 average attendants. 125 years this church has been there. And uh, they're, they're going to lose their building soon because they, they can't maintain it. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to jump in and conjecture one way or another whether it's because they're faithful or not. That's not the point. The point is, just because there's a church building every so many feet doesn't mean we are equipped enough with people that are preaching this gospel and this Christ that we love. That's the point I was making. Hopefully I did that well. Uh, what does all this mean? What does this bring us to? Basically, Cincinnati needs more faithful, Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching churches. I would say a lot more. So be excited. There, there shouldn't be a sense of competition. That's one of the things that blessed me the most about this church. As I began to feel God calling us to, to plant that church, I got nothing but support and love from this church and its leadership. Nothing. No, no sense of competition. The question was, how can we help? And so I want you to know that, and I know I've belabored that point a little bit, but you should feel, you should feel better about being a part of Missio Day because that's the way they think. Because that's the way God thinks about it. Are you glad you're a part of a church that, that wants to help plant churches and spread the gospel? You're excited about that, right? This, you guys are excited about Jesus? This is a Jesus church, right? I'm at the right spot? I didn't check the address when I walked in. I know there's a genie out front. I don't think we're worshiping him, right? We're worshiping Jesus. We're excited about gospel ministry in this city and in every city because we believe the hope for every city, the hope for every heart, the hope for every broken, hurting person is this precious gospel of Christ, right? Amen. Um, and I'm thankful that God has birthed Missio Day and Love City to meet that need. Cincinnati needs good churches, and uh, we're going to rise up to that occasion. So that brings me to my marching orders from Pastor Kurt. When he asked me to come, he said he wanted me to come and share with you the vision and the mission of Love City. Now, 
Uh, if you'd grab a Bible, if you have one, I hope you do, um, you turn with me to 1 John 3.16. Okay, that's 1 John 3.16, not the Gospel of John. <clears throat> 1 John 3.16. I'm just going to read this scripture. I'm not going to expound on it. I even put in my notes, just read it, because I would have a tendency to just start rolling with it as soon as we start reading scriptures. I get all excited, but um, we're just going to read it, and then we're going to move on to another point, point. we're going to come back to it in a second. 1 John 3.16. Uh, just quick background, this is, this is John, one of the three, one of the closest disciples, some would say Jesus' best friend, um, a guy that spent time, a lot of time, with King Jesus. And so his insights and his emphasis, I think, is just, just because of his proximity to the Master should make us probably consider his thoughts uh, with a certain level of, uh, of him having a high level of credibility. So let's look at 1 John 3. 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Our vision is to see as many people as possible meet, worship, love, and joyfully serve Jesus Christ. That's the mission of Love City Church. I'll read it again. It's to see as many people as possible meet, worship, love, and joyfully serve Jesus Christ. And our mission, which is the way we accomplish that vision, right? You have a, you have a goal in mind. You want to see, we want to see as many people as possible come to know the joy and the fulfillment of knowing Jesus. We want them to have their hearts that are broken fixed. We want them to have the emptiness inside filled with a vibrant and authentic relationship with Jesus. And the mission is the way you accomplish that. And so that for us is to love God, love people, and make disciples. That's our mission. That's how we're going to accomplish that vision. And so I'm going to spend some time expounding on that and, and why that's the case. Our vision is pretty simple. And though the, the language that's used to de- describe various churches' visions might be different, people might use different language, uh, present it in a slightly different way, the bottom line and the main goal should pretty much be the same. We should all be about the business of exalting and glorifying Jesus. Right? Every church. If we're a church, if we're a Christian church, then we have to be about His glory. We have to be about his fame. We have to be about telling as many people that will stand still long enough to hear it, the gospel that he gave us to proclaim. Right? So we should all, there may be varying ways that we, we, we talk about that, language we use to express that vision, but ultimately all of us, that should be, the gospel should have a, a centrality in all that we do. Uh, and, and just to be clear, I don't... I've used the word gospel a few times now. Let me just let you know what I mean when I say gospel because that word can get diluted and convoluted and it, sometimes it gets a little bit confusing. When, when, I, when I say gospel, I mean the good news, right? And you've got, you got to know the bad news before you can know the good news, right? So here's the bad news. The bad news is we are all hopelessly sinful, right? That we have a, a nature of sin, that our hearts are corrupted from birth, right? That we, we are sinners. We inherited that from our first parents, Adam and Eve. We are separated from God by that sin. That's a tragedy. Like, first of all, in order for the good news to hit us the way it should, we got to understand the depth of the bad news. Without Jesus, without the good news I'm about to tell you, there is an impassable gulf between us and the God that made us. Our eternity would be separation from Him. That has to matter to us, not only for, for ourselves, but also for others. That, that realization of, of what that means should be part of our motivation in sharing that gospel. We've got to understand how bad the situation is without Christ. It's a big deal. We get, we get lulled into this sense of like, you know, kind of good personism and, 
and it's not that bad. And we live, we live so comfortably here that oftentimes we just, we're disconnected from the fact that, man, spiritually, we're in a bad spot without Christ. But the good news is, the good news is, though we have no possible way in and of ourselves to reconcile ourselves to the God that made us, right? That Jesus came and made a way. Here was the plan. Man fell, separated himself from God by sin, and God said, here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to send Jesus to be the sacrifice to pay the price of that sin. So God himself becomes incarnate. We don't get all that. It's wild, but he did it. He came as a man. He lived a perfect life, so his sacrifice would be enough to pay the price. Lived a perfect life, and then died a shameful death in our place on our behalf. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. We're separated from God. Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled. Okay? So, so you know, when I say gospel, that's what I'm talking about. And that is our jewel, isn't it? That is our great treasure, isn't it? That's the thing, man. If you've got passion in your life, there's a lot of things to be passionate about. But this is the thing that should grip us in the deepest place. The most gratitude should flow from us. The most joy should be created as we contemplate the fact that we were hopelessly lost. We had no chance, and Jesus made a way. Does that do something in you? Your stare isn't telling me it's doing something in you. I need, you, I need to know before I keep going, man, does the gospel matter to you? Do you care that Jesus made that way, that he paid that price? Do you understand that you could not get to God without him? So it's beautiful. So it does create joy that's unshakable, right? I don't really care what's going on out there. I don't really care about circumstances and whatever else when it comes as far as my life's concerned. The weather, you know what? I like sunny days, but on, on a rainy day, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have joy because my joy is rooted in the fact that Christ is the unchanging king, that he made a way for me to know the God that made me, that he made a way for me to be called son instead of wretch. Right? So those things aren't changing. And so because I will always and every day be a son of God, I have deep, unshakable, unchangeable joy. I hope you do too. And I hope that joy comes out. I hope it comes out in your language. I hope it comes out in the way you live your life. I hope somehow it creates curiosity in those that you're around, in your work, where you go to school, in your families. Peter talks about it. He says in 1 Peter 3.15 that to always be ready to give an answer for the hope you profess. Right? And so sometimes, sometimes we don't even get the opportunity to, to profess our hope or talk about our hope because our life is not different enough that it creates curiosity in the unbeliever. We are called to be a peculiar people. We are called to live in joy, to live in such deep joy that no matter what the circumstance, we are not shaken. This stands out in the world. This causes people to wonder, what's up with you? And what that does is it opens up a wide open, beautiful door for us to tell them, here's why. Because <laughs> Jesus is wonderful. It's not because of Prozac or Xanax or anything else I can get my hands on. My joy is not coming from that. And I don't mean to ridicule anybody that struggles with depression, but the answer to your depression is the joy of the Lord. That is it. That is the answer. And one of the specific ways that God has called Love City to be a part of the collective vision of gospel transformation for Cincinnati is to redefine love to the culture through the scriptures. Okay? So we have a strong belief that love matters, that love is a central part of this story of the gospel. And if we believe that Cincinnati, that its best hope is for the gospel to transform it, we believe that redefining love to the culture and to the people is going to help them and prep them and prime them for that gospel. So, if you'll turn with me, it should just be a page flip to 1 John 4. We're going to read 14 verses. 
I'm really going to have to restrict myself here because I can I could take off and uh, keep you till dinner time in these 14 verses, but I won't. They actually unwisely didn't give me a time limit. What's my time limit? <laughs> Brother, you, you need to have a digital clock up or you know what's going to happen up in here. <laughs> why don't you, yeah, why don't you start throwing up, you know, I'll, I'll give me the wrap-up, son. You guys got a shepherd's cane off stage or something? All of a sudden, I'm, you know, yanked off my feet. You get your page flipped? 1 John 4, 7 through 21. You guys ready? We're in verse 7, chapter 4, 1 John. Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this love of God, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So much in that, it's unbelievable. But I'm going to zero in on a few things, reference others as we go on. But there's, you could really read that every day and it wouldn't hurt anybody. It would actually help a lot. Uh, We cannot, what we need to do here, I want to point out twice in this set of verses it says God is love. Okay, that gets people nervous. That gets people nervous. Because what often happens is we, in misunderstanding, take our often perverted and diminished understanding of what love is, we project that onto God because the scriptures say God is love. So we're, we're working from our perspective We think we know what love is. We take that understanding of love, project it onto God, because the scripture said right here, God is love, isn't he? So then then we decide, well, since God is love, he'll never judge. Or since God is love, he'll never correct. Right? And so we have a fallacy there. We have a misunderstanding. What we have to do is we have to reverse that. We have to let the scriptures define for us what love is, and then take that and project it out to others. Let it transform our hearts. So I would just... I would ask you today to come to the table with me and say, it's at least possible, and I would go so far as to say probable, that we have some dark spots in our understanding of the depth of love, right? When this says God is love, that automatically starts to blow my mind a little bit, because there's nowhere else in Scripture where God is likened to another noun. This freaks me out. What do I do with that? Because God is holy, that's an adjective describing Him, right? It doesn't say God is holiness. So this is saying God is love. What do I do with that? And the problem is, is our definition being twisted and messed up, I think this ends up oftentimes distorting the gospel. 
This often ends up, ends up being a problem uh, for us representing God correctly. So this brings us to the important task. Because of the, the gravity of those verses, I want to take time to try to define what love is. And I promise you we won't get this done today. Um, this definition of love has eluded some of the finest minds throughout history. This has been a question on the mind and heart of humanity since we've been asking questions. Plato, Socrates, a bunch of people, way smarter than most of us in this room, uh, took a crack at it and I think came up short. Way short. Scripture is the only place where love is truly and, and, and totally defined. Um, and the answer to this question um, is, is so important. It can't be overstated. And so not only did ancient philosophers attempt to define it, wrestle with what what is love? But we have even modern scholars and philosophers like Oprah and Bella Swan that bring their uh, unique ideas about love and what it is and what it isn't. Um, not, not necessarily describing love, but um, I, <clears throat> uh, in order to be a good missionary, I've, I've taken my wife to see all, all of the Twilight movies. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, but honestly, I, I, I you know, I don't want to go do that. Uh, and she doesn't really all that much either, but we know that there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, 15 to 30-year-olds that are going to go see that and really care about what the characters in it think. So we go to try to understand the culture that we're called to be uh, missionaries to. And so um, I, um, you know, before Jesus totally transformed my heart, my, my sin of choice was rage. And sometimes that comes and, like, tries to peek its head up again and, and say hi. Uh, and I, I, man, just about went into a rage fit. Uh, I don't remember which Twilight movie it was, but, but Bella throws out this um, incredible piece of wisdom uh, that marriage is just a piece of paper as she's trying to seduce um, the sparkly vampire you know, into taking her innocence. Um, I really wanted to, to turn around and rip my theater chair from the ground and chuck it towards the screen to express the anger that this caused because I know, I, 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 I've seen this happen, I know the process, a whole bunch of the 15-year-old girls in there with shorts that are way too short. That's another day. Get some longer shorts. But they're sitting in there, and they hear Bella Swan say, marriage is just a piece of paper. And boom, they're there. Forget what their mom and dad have said. Forget what their pastor said. B Bella Swan said, marriage is just a piece of paper. And so, there, you got to share in that experience with me. And that's my point. Our culture has taken and distorted many things that have been well-defined by the Scriptures. God has a, Here's the thing. God has a definition for love. Does He not? Of course He does. And so what we have to do, and what I'm asking you to do with me today, is suspend for a moment your ideas of what love is and let us together endeavor, dig deep into the Scriptures, and try to come out with a little bit better understanding of what love is by the time we get out of here today. Are you willing to do that with me? Okay, let's do that. Sometimes knowing what something is not helps it define what it is. Love is not simply a feeling or emotion. Love is not sex. Some of you, that's, that's stunning. I think the phrase that we've used for so long, making love, and it's almost, it's almost elevated as this you know, more, more special type of sex. When you're making love, it's better. Love is not sex. It's not even close. Not even close. Love is not the warm, fuzzy feeling that teenage girls get when Justin Bieber hits a high note. Okay, that's a chemical reaction, right? 
It's the same one that happens the first time you're attracted to somebody and your hand brushes their hand. And it's like, boom, 4th of July goes off in your brain. That's called dopamine, okay, and oxytocin. They mix together, and they dump into your bloodstream, and all of a sudden, you're happy, real happy. That's not love. That's not love. That's a chemical reaction, okay? Uh, God did that because I think this is, I'm getting out into conjecture here, but I think God did that. I think God put those chemicals in our brain that have the same chemical composition as, like, meth that are incredibly addictive, which is why sex has been so perverted in our culture. Um, I think God did that because he knew how different he was going to make men and women. And if he didn't give us those chemicals that would kind of bring us together, I don't think we would come together. I think there would be dude colonies and chick colonies. They'd be over there talking about their feelings and making crafts. And we'd be shooting stuff and seeing who could lift the heaviest rock. You know what I mean? Um, But it is this chemical attraction that God put together because he wanted us to fill the earth and multiply. He didn't want us to separate by gender. Um... You know, like our Amish friends. So, um, love is not sex. Love is not sex. Love is not that feeling, uh, the, the warm fuzzies that happens, uh, whether you're, you're with somebody, you hold somebody's hand, you give them a hug, or for, for some people, when, when Bieber hits a high note. Uh, love is not a sparkly vampire and a super pale skinny girl running around the woods together staring deep into each other's eyes. That's, that's not love, Okay. Romeo and Juliet, the, the rom- I was, romance is not love. We get that confused, man. We think love, we think Valentine's Day, Hallmark, hearts full of candy. Guys, it's, it's, it's way short. It's not even close. It's not even close. None of these things comes close to understanding what love is. Love is best defined, I think, and most succinctly defined in 1 John 3.16. I already asked you to read that. Um, so I hope it's still there. Flip back. I want to read it one more time. And this time, I get to expound on it. So get ready for that. 1 John 3.16. We know love by this. Pause. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying, he's telling you he's about to define love, right? So we understand, we all have a tendency to have a diminished and perverted understanding of what love is. There's all types of cultural influence, years and years of misunderstanding this, that, that mixes together and brings us to a place where we probably fall short in our understanding of what love is. Where it's probably confusing for us to hear, God is love. We have a hard time putting the equal sign in that equation and getting the sum. So here we're going to come back to the scriptures that define both God being love and also I think defines for us what love is. So we're going to, as we read this, it's saying, by this we know love. I'm about to give you a definition for love. Okay, so here, we need to pay attention to this next set of verses. We know love by this, that He, being Jesus, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So how do we know what love is? How do we, with finite minds, try to understand what love is, which apparently is a part of the very character and nature of an infinite and eternal God? How do we, as mere humans, understand this incredibly deep and, and, and mysterious principle? We understand it best by gazing full face into Jesus on his cross. By focusing our attention on what's going on there. By this we know love. By this, you human, with a finite mind, here's your best shot to understand what love is. We've, we've discussed why it's important. We, we, have to, we have to take time and exert effort into having a 
a better understanding of, of what that is. What does God mean when He says that I am love? What does He mean when He calls us to love each other? What does that mean? Because that, if it doesn't just mean I have a, a mere sense of affection for you or I have a positive inclination towards you, what does it mean? How deep does it go? What is it asking me to do? And what is it telling me God expresses towards me? He said, God loves me. Okay, that's great. What does that mean? We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. So we see Jesus on the cross. We see what's happening in those moments. What is it that we're seeing? What is it? What, what, can, we try, what can we pull from that to help inform our understanding of what love is so we can be- better understand the God that we say we serve? Well, what we see at the cross is the premier and most excellent example of selflessness ever in history. Because what you have on the cross is perfect, blameless, sinless Jesus laying down his very life, being tortured for a bunch of people that hate him. This is way more selfless than you getting up off the couch to grab the remote instead of your husband or wife. Like, I know you feel like you're stretching when you're like, okay, I'm going to give some, Lord, okay? I'm going to get up. He's closer, but I'm going to get up and get it. Okay? I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to show love today. And that's a start. Yes, that was selfless. Good job. You got the remote. Thank you. It's a good baby step. But here we have Jesus. Selfless, sacrificial, the perfect one, laying down everything for us that are imperfect. Stunning. Stunning on the cross when Jesus lifts himself up, uses one of those few last breaths to ask God to forgive the ones that just tortured him, and they weren't even sorry yet. Still jeering, still casting lots for his clothes, still taking bets on how long it was going to take him to die. And he's concerned with their forgiveness because he's selfless, because he's perfect, because he epitomizes sacrifice. And these are the things, these are the hallmarks of what love really is about. Love is not an emotion. Love is not an affection. Love is not a chemical reaction. Love is not romance. This is is my best shot. Do with it what you will. I believe love is a divine attribute. It is a part of the character of God, which we share, though imperfectly, because of sin. Love can't just be an emotion if God is love, right? It can't can't be. So if if God is love, it's a part of his character. It's a part of his nature. It's a divine attribute. And because we are his image bearers, we get the privilege of sharing in that. We can also love, though ours is often less perfect, always less perfect. And ours is oftentimes very diminished in comparison to his because we have sin in the way, right? But what we should do is strive to see his perfect example of love, continue to defeat sin in our lives by and through that love, that we may, on the other side, love more like him. Because this is part of how doors are open for the gospel to be preached. And I'll show you that more in a minute. The importance of understanding what love really is, I don't think can be overstated. I think our understanding has gone so far away from what it truly is, 
and understanding what love is is so vitally important. I, I don't think it can be overstated. I don't, I'm, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the point that what we're doing here today, this is why I believe God made me name my church Love City Church. Because I understand that sounds kind of feminine. And I'm not a real feminine guy, okay? I kind of, I kind of go the other way typically. So I know that most people here love city and they're thinking, oh, that's kind of sissy-ish. But, but that's only because of that, that symptom of the diminished and perverted understanding of what love is. We think romance, we think hearts, we think Romeo and Juliet, we think, uh, I can't remember their names, but, you know, vampire and, and, and pale girl. We think, that's, we think that's what love is, right? And it's not. It falls so drastically and so, so tragically short. That, and that's part of what I'm doing here today. That's part of what God has called me to do with my life, is to come and bring a full frontal assault on your understanding of love, to come and deconstruct what I can that is mistruth and bring from the scriptures what is true about it so that it can be woven into our mission and our vision and it can be something that propels us towards what it is God's called us to do. Primarily being live out a life that causes curiosity in the unbelievers so that we have an example that causes them to ask, what's up? Why are you different? So we can open our mouth and proclaim the gospel, right? We don't believe the, the, the cute adage that we can, you know, Preach the gospel and use words if necessary, right? Yes, I'm calling you to live a love-filled life. It's so radical that it, it creates curiosity in those that are not Christians. And so they will ask you, why is it you live that way? Why is it you love like that? Why is it that you conduct yourself in that way? Not just that we, we live that way and think that somehow by osmosis they're going to get the whole gospel. We have to have it on our lips, right? We have to be willing to tell people why it is we love. We have to be willing to tell people why it is we, we understand what love is. It's because of these scriptures. It's because of his cross. It's our only shot. It's our only shot. We can spend the rest of our life trying to contemplate the depth of what's being said in love is defined at the cross of Christ. You could not spend too much time thinking about that. I promise you. Because in it, in it is woven every other principle whether it comes to your responsibility or what God has done or how he feels about you, everything ties back to this. Let me prove it to you. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in love, right? Above all, keep fervent in love one for the other. Here's the, here's the deal. You only get to say above all once. You hear what I'm saying? You only get to say above all once. Like if it's above all, like all's here, here's everything else we worry about as Christians. Here's all the sins that encumber us. Here's all the mission, vision, stuff we're supposed to be doing. Here's all the important things. Here's all above that. Peter says keep fervent in love. Well, that's just Peter. Okay. Colossians. It's your boy Paul. Ready? Beyond all these things, put on love. You only get to say beyond all these things one time. It's an absolute. So there's something to be said about us emphasizing this, understanding this, caring about this, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what is love. God, when you ask me to love, first of all, when you say you love me, what does that mean? And God, when you call me to love my family and my church and my neighbor and my enemy, what does that mean? We cannot overstate it. Go to, go to Mark 12, okay? You know, yeah, Peter said it. I know Paul said it, but... Okay, now I got Jesus for you. Ready? Now Jesus is up to bat. Mark 12, right? The scribe comes. Jesus is giving good answers, so the scribe's going to take his turn to see if he can trip him up. Hey, teacher, 
What's the greatest commandment? Guys, here's the thing. Here we got King Jesus, right? This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. King Jesus. This God puts Jesus up to answer what is the most important commandment. And so, when the red letters start, after that question, Jesus is answering what's the most important thing. If all the things we're going to focus on, of all the things we're going to put effort to, of all the things that we're going we're to try to attain to, Jesus... What is that? What did he say? Most of you know it. Most of you get up here and quote it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Woo! Okay. Jesus laid it out. He put it out there. Now, now for us, we got to care about what that means. we got to be willing to take the time to plumb the depth. What does that mean? That's the greatest commandment? Okay, Jesus saw fit to emphasize it. I also find it interesting. The scribe asked for one commandment. How many did Jesus give him? Why? Because they are inextricably connected. You can't take one apart from the other. We see it all through that beautiful love uh, dissertation and, and exhortation in, in 1 John 4, 7-21. It says, if you don't love people, if you don't love your brother, if you don't love your neighbor... You can't say you love God. You don't even get to say that. So they are connected inextricably because, here's the deal. Why do we love? Why, why, do, why is there a call to love? What's the deal? We love because God first loved us. Let's make that clear. We have no capacity for love. We don't understand love. We don't have a shot at getting it until we first understand that God went first. Didn't he? We were rebels. We were separated wretches. He loved first. He showed us what was up by sacrificing himself for a bunch of us that didn't care. He went first. What a beautiful thing. We we should also go first with other people. Just so you know, that's something you draw out of that. (laughs) I'm going to be like Jesus and be a Christian. I got my Jesus jersey. I'm on team Jesus. Then I go first. Philippians 2 says, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. He didn't consider God, uh, equality with God something to be grasped, but he, he lowered himself, considered every other person, including you, more important than him. Jesus considered you more important than him and proved it by hanging on a cross. So what that does is leaves us no loopholes, right? Because we, all the time, want to think we're more important than somebody else. Our priorities, what we got going on, our life, we're smarter, we're better, higher economic status, whatever it is, we're tempted all the time to think we're better, and that influences the way we treat people. But we don't get to do that because Jesus is the only person ever that had the right to not humble himself. He didn't have to. He's the king. He's the creator, furthermore. So he gets to do whatever he wants. And he definitely doesn't have to be humble, but he did it so that we would see that he did. And because he did, know that we must. You see that? You see that connection? Do you see how the fact that because Jesus did it, 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 it leaves us no room to not live that way and think that way? So why, why is there two commands? There's two commands because you can't take them apart. Because if, if you are loved by God and you in turn love him, the thing that starts to happen in your heart is going to cause you to love people. And if you truly understand what it means that God loves you, it's going to give you an incredible love for people. And here's the other thing. 
It's, it's, it sounds weird. There in 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Um, let's see what verse, I think it's 12. Yes, no one has seen God at any time. So, so John is just, John is laying it out like one of the best. 14, set of 14 scriptures on love, right? He's killing it. It's good. It's, it's great. Then right in the middle, he puts this abstract statement. Uh, no one's seen God at any time. What is that, what's that got to do with all this love stuff? Like, you're, you're really, like, helping me with what love is. Thank you, John. No one has seen God at any time. Well, here's what he's doing. He's, he's pointing out to you that you can't really give God a hug. God doesn't really need anything you have. We can't really bless God directly. But what we can do is, like the book of Matthew says, we can give a cup of cold water to a little child, and Jesus counts that like you just did it to him. So part of the way we express our gratitude. So I'm trying to bring you to a place to understand the depth of how much God has loved you and what that means, right? And our response to that should be, in turn, to love Him. And the way we express that, one of the ways we primarily express that is to love people. To lay down ourselves just like He did for the betterment of others. And He's glorified in this, okay? Because uh, the, the book of John, chapter 13, says that... Uh, by this, the world will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for the other. Okay? It's not our bumper stickers. It's not our t-shirts. It's not um, how loud we yell. It's not sandwich boards with flames and the word hell in red standing on the corner, you know, shaking our fist at people. That's not, that's not the primary way that people are going to be able to identify us as, as the disciples of Jesus. The book of John, chapter 13, says it's by love. Okay, I told you. I... Here's, here's what I did. I scratched the surface of this thing today. I did my best in one shot. Here's what I'm hoping I did. I'm hoping I caused in you a curiosity. My, my, my commission to you, my hope for you, is that you will go into the Scriptures and see how every single time when there's an opportunity for a writer, whether it's Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, or anybody else, Whoever's writing, whenever it is, they're given an opportunity to say, here's what's the biggest deal. Here's what's most important. Here's what you need to focus on. Of all the things you need to focus on, Paul went so far as to say in Romans 13, if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the whole law. And he goes and starts naming them, right? Because you're not going to lie to somebody you love like Jesus loved you. You're not going to kill them. You're not going to take their wife. Love is the key. Love is the thing that's going to change us. And it's the thing that's going to open up the door for us to preach the gospel to this city, which is going to be its great hope. The gospel of Christ can change Cincinnati. And I believe we need to understand God has put us in Cincinnati on purpose. Cincinnati, in a, in a, in a recent poll on citydata.com, was ranked one of the top ten most influential cities with a metro population of two million. Okay, most of us that live here were like, what? Cincinnati? Right? People, people have their eye on this region. Okay, so I want you to understand that the influence of the gospel that we could have here can spread much farther than just here. God can have much glory if we will be on mission and we will let the love of God transform the way we deal with him, think about him, and the way we deal with people. Our hope for Cincinnati, um, as far as Love City Church is concerned, Love Chitty, that wouldn't, wouldn't be a cool name. Love City Church, um, there's a quote by Augustine that sums up for us the great hope that we have for Cincinnati. There you are. I, I needed a joke in the middle of all that heavy stuff. That was a problem. <laughs> okay. I'll remember that next time. Um, or I just needed to mess up my words. Augustine says this. He says, two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, 
even to the contempt of self. This is our great hope. For Love City Church, this is our hope. Cincinnati would be the, the latter of the two cities. We would be a city transformed by the gospel, a people overwhelmed with the selfless love of God, and it would cause us to have an impact not only here but worldwide. Because, it, because true love, like Jesus loved us, people acting like Jesus did will shock. It will shock the world. And it will give us a platform to preach this gospel, this treasure that we have. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, help me. Um, and please forgive me uh, if there's big gaps in this because I'm, I'm trying to cram so much of what's so important in, in, into a little bit of time. And so, Lord, I ask by your Holy Spirit you would, you would fill those gaps if they're there. And God, I just ask that, um, that what was preached today, Lord, that your word would go in um, and it would find fertile soil and it would take root. God, I ask that your love would transform us in every way. God, I ask that it would cause <clears throat> Missio Day, Love City, and every other church in Cincinnati and across the globe to uh, just be consumed with the love that would cause us to live like you did, selfless and sacrificially, that we may uh, create for ourselves an open door to preach your gospel that leads to transformation. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.